Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of Walk On Radio. Now, Humph, it's a little bit different. We have a special episode this th- today. So, Humph, why don't you tell everybody who we have on the show and what we're going to talk about. So, as you guys know, we, uh, we, we talked about last week having some, some big plans for the FCS. Uh, it's spring season, you know, it's the first time this has ever been done, and Walk On Radio wants to be a big part of it. So, to kick off the season, uh, we've got a special guest We've got Kevin Marshall from FCS Nation Radio. Uh, he's he's all over Twitter. Uh, a lot of a lot of engagement from a lot of different FCS fans, FCS programs, things of that nature. And we're we're really excited to have him on today and and kind of just pick his brain. Yeah. So in a little bit, we're gonna get him on the phone and get talking to him. We have a lot of questions to ask him, and we're gonna get some outlooks, some opinions, things we've talked about before, things we, we want to hear from him. It's gonna be a really fun episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody, and we're here with Kevin Marshall of FCS Nation Radio. Kevin, how are you doing today? Very well. How about y'all? I'm doing good, huh? What about you? I'm good. I'm excited for this episode. Uh, obviously, it's cool being being on the show with someone that's as passionate about FCS football as we are, and so uh, I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, so let's get rolling. I want to start off with kind of a, a basic question for you, and uh, that is simply... What started your love for sports? And also, how did you get into FCS football? And how did you get into starting a podcast like FCS Nation Radio? Well, I grew up around Citadel football. I grew up in Charleston and going to the games. I uh, was a cadet. Uh, you know, then uh, to start the show, you know, it was something I started off just the same way that y'all did. You know, we had a, a podcast years ago. Uh, we got it on the radio on one station here in Missoula, Montana, and we've grown exponentially since then. You know, I don't have a journalism degree. You know, I didn't know how to do this until I would listen to sports radio and kind of listen to what not to do in my mind. So we started off on one station and we've blown up since then. It's been a nice, nice deal. Yeah, man, we're in the same boat as you. We both, you know, listen to sports, watch sports, and and me and Humphreys, we play sports, and we thought the same thing. Man, we can do this. We can talk sports. We can get involved and argue with each other and make picks. So same idea as you came in with Walk On Radio, and we're having a great time. So the next question, let's kind of get rolled into FCS and and everything going on. And my first question, and this is the big one, we've kind of have some, we've seen some opt-outs, Montana, Montana State, Illinois State. And uh, we saw this in the FBS. We saw it with the Big Ten and the Pac-12. As more and more teams started opting out, kind of people followed, conferences followed, and a lot. there was a little bit of nerve that we might not get a fall season. So in your opinion, with all these big schools opting out in the spring, should we be a little bit nervous about us maybe losing the spring season? You know, I don't think so. And the reason why I say that is when you see people – ask that same question and, you know, point out that maybe they have inside information uh, on some of the social media. Uh, Tom Listersill, the commissioner of the Big Sky Conference and the Big Scout Conference commissioner, both chimed in right under that saying that, you know, that wasn't true and that they're committed with going forward. And I think we are going to see a spring season. I think the opt-outs are probably over or they will be in the next week, week and a half, because, you know, look, first game is coming up you know we're going to be a month away from when just about everybody opens up uh, here very shortly so you know i don't think we're going to see very much more of that um i think that maybe we've seen all that we're going to see but maybe a couple of more here and there but i think the spring is a go well that's good to hear uh obviously 
you know, we're, we open up the FCS season with Tarleton versus McNeese. That is that is 25 days from now. And and I agree with what you're saying. At some point, it, it's it's too late to opt out. And you know, the all these schools have had months to to kind of make a decision and and decide, you know, what they want to do as far as the spring goes. And I think. I, I honestly think if we can dodge, you know, maybe another seven to ten days of, of no considerable opt-outs, I, I really think it's going to happen. And I tend to agree with you. Look, there's the Missouri Valley, uh, the SoCon, uh, the Southland, uh, you know, the CAA, uh, the rest of the Big Sky minus the Montana schools, Sac State and Portland State seem to be in this thing in earnest. Um, I think that it's something that if it was going to happen, I didn't particularly like the timing of Montana's and uh, Portland State opting out. I mean, they waited till the first day of the semester, and that kind of seemed like, you know, maybe the timing could have been better. Um, you know, it, I mean, did they just figure out it was going to be cold in Montana in January and February and March and April? I don't think so. But, you know, this is something that maybe they could have, instead of kicking the can down the road and getting people's hopes up, Maybe they could have just said, look, we're not interested in spring football. And I understand why they did it. They cited the concerns of uh, playing in the spring and then playing in the fall. So who knows? Uh, Maybe that had more to do with it than anything else. So a big question that I see, uh, and you just mentioned it, on the the playing in the spring and then turning around and playing in the fall, Uh, in your opinion, what are are the pros and the cons of, of playing in the spring? Well, more football is always good. <laughs> Absolutely. It. It's always good. So, but, you know, I think that that argument does have some uh, credence to it. But then again, I mean, when you're looking at the number of games played, if you advance out of a, let's say it's one of those years where it's a 12-game regular season and you don't get a bye in the first round of the playoffs and you advance to the national championship game, well, you've kind of played almost that same amount of games, haven't you? So I don't really know how valid of a concern that is. I'm not living it or trying to coach it. So, you know, I really can't answer that question uh, with a lot of uh, certainty. But I think if you add up the number of games, you know, it's pretty darn close to a full season, uh, including the playoffs. Yeah, and we've talked about it too on the show. Being able to play in the spring and being able to play by ourselves as the, as the FCS, it's a real good chance for people to watch us. A lot of people say, you know, they don't know the FCS, they haven't seen it, hasn't been on the main channels. So we're hoping that being able to play in the spring will give people more of a chance to see us and expand our brand a little bit. Now, another question involving the spring is we saw earlier in the fall that people were saying that the FCS should stay in the spring. Maybe this should be a permanent thing. You know, we're going to see how it goes this season. But I'm asking you, in your opinion, do you think the FCS should stay in the spring permanently? No. Football season is in the fall. And, you know, I saw something the other day where, you know, maybe we should scrimmage FBS teams in the spring uh, as they're finishing up their spring practice. You know, the, F- the football championship subdivision does not exist for the convenience of the football bowl subdivision. Uh, this is a whole other deal. We do the playoffs right. And look, more times than we can all count. You know, sometimes we show up, get the check and take the W back to our home city along with the FBS team's pride as well. So, no, uh, this is college football, and college football is played in the fall. I don't care what level it is. Uh, and from a purely fiscal standpoint, y'all, most programs have to play an FBS game for money every year. So 
if the FBS isn't going to move to the spring, then the FCS isn't either because a lot of us need that extra game date with one of those teams to balance the books. Yeah, and then there's the the, the, the other side of it too where, where some people, they can go to the draft. We saw Trey Lance with North Dakota State, and it kind of messes it up trying to play in the spring. And like you said, with the big schools that uh, or the little school that needs the money from the big schools, we look at someone from the Southland Conference, Houston Baptist. They really need the money, and they need to play the big school, so they had to play in the fall, and they're missing out on a chance to compete for a conference championship because they needed that money. So great point and a great topic. Well, look, the uh... – the schools that played some in the fall. I mean, you have schools that played four games, three games. Some played two. Some only played one, like North Dakota State did. But, I mean, y'all are living it now. Uh, is there any substitute for game reps? I mean, you can practice all you want. But playing in a game is definitely more significant than just practicing. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I, that's that's a conversation um, that, that I bring up when someone says, ah, you know, playing in the spring and turning around and playing in the fall is, is it's not going to work. Well, what I say to that is, man, uh, what what great what great practice, what great reps, live game reps we got in the spring, and then turn around and playing in the fall. And so, you know, if you're you know you're a team that's got younger guys, well, those guys got some tremendous experience uh, and and reps, and they're ready they're ready to go come fall. Well, look, one of the things that the coaches that take part in the national championship, one of the things that they always comment on is, you know, we get this extra practice time. You know, you get that and you get get the younger guys some reps. And, you know, then, you know, you go right into spring, not too long afterwards. And spring is a relative term in a lot of parts of the country, as we figured out, right? It's different in Charleston than it is in Missoula. Spring is a, you know, it's a whole other uh, flip the calendar, maybe even a couple of times. But I think the teams that did play some this fall are going to be ahead, especially early on in this spring, than the teams that didn't. And we'll see how that plays out. But I think I would much rather have been a squad that played two, three, four games this past fall and now trying to play in the spring versus not having played a game in a year and a half. So uh, you, you, you mentioned you mentioned the FCS playoffs doing it the right way. Uh, me and Dalton, we, we completely agree with you. Do you feel that this is something the college football playoff committee at the FBS level is worried about? You know, the the glass door to to a, a different way to do the playoffs that the nation is going to get this spring? Look, I think that, and we all know this to be true, the Power Five is never going to split their money with anybody unless they're forced into it. And if you try to force them into it, well, then they might just up and leave the NCAA altogether. So, I mean, let's let's not pretend that this is about anything other than money because it, because that's what it's about. Look, Coastal Carolina was a FCS team not all that long ago, and they had a really good season, really good season. Cincinnati had a really great season too. But what were they ended up doing when the so-called college football playoff started? Well, they were sitting there watching it from their couch. So in this crazy past year that we had in the fall football season, if none of the group of five teams could sniff a playoff berth, do you really see that happening in a regular year? Because I don't. I think, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Um, and, I, and I really, the only way that, that those, you know, group of five teams are going to get any type of recognition is if they expand the playoffs. I, I just, 
And, and honestly, in a corona season like we've had uh, this past fall, this was the year to try it. Because uh, if it didn't work out, if people didn't like it, you could just write it off of it was a weird year and we, we really wanted to try something new. Yeah, and bouncing off a hump, and we've talked about it before in a couple past episodes, look, at the end of the day, it's probably going to be Alabama versus Clemson. You know, that's going to be the outcome of, of the playoffs and the national championship, and Alabama probably wins it. So let's give these 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 fifth and sixth spots a chance to compete. And we talk about ratings and we talk about TV. Imagine if this underdog story, this underdog beats a higher seed, just like in March Madness. Everybody likes to see that. It'd be something really interesting to watch. And uh, so we're talking about the playoffs. We're talking about uh, the FBS. So my question to you, in your opinion, should the FBS adapt an FCS-style playoff? And would it succeed or would it fail? Oh, I think, again, more football. Who doesn't want to see that? But the money situation comes up again. There's so much tied up in the bowl system that, you know, they got rid of a BCS system that in a lot of ways, yeah, this is a playoff, but in a lot of ways, I think the BCS system maybe wasn't as broken as people have seen when you have the college football playoff. But, you know, let's look at it this way. If you expand to six teams, would Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina been in it this year? Probably not. They weren't in the top six. If you expand to eight teams, maybe Cincinnati would have snuck in. But do you not seriously think that if you add another couple of spots and you don't specifically say that one G5 team, the best one, and how do you quantify that, considering there's a group of five of them, who's the best one they don't all play one another? Do you honestly not think that whatever extra spots they are are just going to go to a team a slot below Clemson in the ACC, a slot below Alabama or Auburn or somebody in the uh, SEC. Um, I mean, we can throw out the Pac-12 because we all know they're not stepping it. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you mentioned March Madness. You, know, you have teams from what are one-bid leagues who, you know, win the regular season, have a bad game in the conference tournament, and end up having to go to the NIT. But that eighth-place Big Ten team who finished 500 in that league, they're going to be playing in the big tournament. I think we'd see the same exact thing happen in college football at the next level up if the playoff was expanded. Yeah, and you're 100% right because especially with your whole argument – you know, A and M, the people, the the team that barely missed the playoffs. That's the first team they're going to talk about getting in. Not not a Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina. They're going to get those 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 big schools that lost one or two games. And you're 100 percent right. But uh, talking about FCS and going back to the FCS playoffs, we had some big news happen earlier this a uh, couple months ago with Deion Sanders getting hired at Jackson State. And we're, we're talking about playoffs, and we're talking about and we had this conversation happen a few episodes ago. With the hiring of Deion Sanders and with the potential success of Jackson State and the SWAC conference, could you see his team or his conference asking for a playoff bid if they see success? Well, I mean, the teams that aren't taking play, excuse me, the teams that aren't taking part in the Celebration Bowl are eligible. So, I mean, but the MEAC and the SWAC right now are just not going to send their champions to the FCS playoffs. So, I mean, um, if you're Deion Sanders and you come in second place in the SWAC at Jackson State, you know, are you going to want to play in a playoff berth if the committee gives you an at-large berth? Uh, probably, I would think. But, I mean, and a lot of people got upset with Coach Sanders. It's weird calling him that, isn't it? With <laughs> Coach Sanders uh, because of some comments he made, you know, about wanting to be in FBS bowl games. <laughs> 
and they, you know, not so suddenly reminded him that, you know, the champion of his league goes to the Celebration Bowl. And they're right. And I think that, uh, you know, with familiarity uh, with the system uh, comes as uh, Coach Sanders is there longer. And I'm sure there was probably some conversations about that when that whole thing broke out. But if you're in a conference that sends its champion and has an automatic berth to the FCS playoffs, well, that's got to be your goal, isn't it? To win your conference, get to the playoffs, roll the dice, see what happens. But in the MEAC and the SWAC, you know, they want to play in the Celebration Bowl, which is cool. No problem with that. But I do think it's kind of telling that you had, you know, a team that's, you know, been ranked pretty highly the last, what, four or five years in North Carolina A&T uh, leave that MEAC conference uh, to go into a playoff eligible conference in the Big South. Yeah, and with with the success, it, we'll see with Deion Sanders' team. He's bringing a lot of recruits. You know, he's got both of his sons that just joined the team. It's going to be really interesting to watch Jackson State and Coach Deion Sanders. And we're talking about conferences. We talked about the first game, Tarleton and McNeese. And that brings up the question, the Western American Conference. It was announced a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I want to ask you, what's your reaction to the WAC and all the waction with the Western American Conference? And uh, on top of that, do you think the Southland will survive without all the Texas teams? Of course the Southland will survive. That's been a good league for a long time. And I think that, you know, piggybacking off the last question that we talked about, I think one of the first uh, schools that uh, I've heard the Southlands reached out to is Prairie View, which, seemed, which would seem to be a good fit, right? Um, and although, you know, they'd probably have to be enticed. But, you know, it, it I kind of thought it was – I don't know, bad taste isn't maybe the, uh, the way to do it because it, it really wasn't much shade from the schools. But fans of the teams that left the Southland, you know, they, they made no bones about the fact that they were ready to get out, did they? And it's interesting that, you know, sometimes the grass isn't always greener. But I think the WAC will be a good conference. I mean, you, you, and, you know, look, there's no doubt that Colby Carthel at Stephen F. Austin is really recruiting well. And they improved every game this past fall that they played. So I think Stephen F. Austin is on the way back. Um, you know, I think Sam Houston State will be very, very good like they always are. I really like Coach Keeler. He's been coming on our program for a long, long time. Um, and don't tell him, but a couple times I have played sunglasses at night as the intro for Coach Keeler whenever he comes on. If you remember, he did have his sunglasses <laughs> on when he was at Delaware yeah. in the national championship game yeah. on television. And he's caught that and, you know, let me know about it a couple of times. He thought it was funny. But, you know, I think what I would really be looking out for is what's going to happen with the A-Sun. I mean, you've got teams like North Alabama, you know, who hasn't even been at FCS long enough to qualify for the playoffs, yet they're talking about already moving on from the Big South into the A-Sun for football. So we'll see. I think Central Arkansas has uh, expressed a lot of interest in that, and I think that they will probably move. Eastern Kentucky maybe as well. I've heard Austin P may be on the move. Uh, there's rumors out there about Chattanooga as well. So I don't think we're done with uh, conference expansion or, or changes. Uh, I just think that especially with what we've seen happen with, you know, COVID-19 and this, you know, lost season at the SCS level, that I think you're maybe going to see some contraction. And I don't mean teams are going to drop football. I just mean that maybe some teams will try to get in conferences that are better geographical footprints for them, more bus trips, less plane rides. 
Well, and I'm 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 with you that I definitely think that there is there is change coming. Uh, but I'm also on the side that I don't think change is necessarily a bad thing. Um, you know, new experiences, new new rivalries. Uh, you know, you can fill out of conference games with with past conference opponents, and so I really think it's a good deal. Uh, it's 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 probably more or less a case by case situation uh, for institutions. Uh, and I know the I know the Texas Four. I'm actually so I'm the uh, I'm the student athlete president here at Sam Houston. So I've I've been on some some meetings uh, that have kind of been the explanation of of the whack move and and you know the reasons driving behind leaving the Southland. And so it's just been interesting hearing both sides of it. Obviously, uh, you know originally Sam Houston and the rest of the other Texas schools that were originally in the Southland were set to leave in 2022. The Southland, you know, they wanted to part ways earlier than that, and so uh, July first, the uh, the Texas Four will officially be out of the Southland Conference. So just a lot of moving parts, but I, I really think it's going to be good in the long run. And you can't blame the Southland for you know not wanting to prolong negative media attention, right? Yeah, you know, it's all the positive attention is all about those moving on, and you know, uh, those getting you know left behind are kind of feeling like, you know, it's all negative. So, I mean, you can't blame them for that, I don't think. But, you know, you, look, uh, the Battle of the Piney Woods has to happen, you know. So, and it's kind of a, a amusing is the wrong word. I think it's telling that a lot of these schools have other schools that they don't feel comfortable moving without, you know. So, you know, look, when VMI left the Southern Conference, you know, the Citadel and VMI still played each other every year. They only missed one, and that was a scheduling snafu on both parts. So if you have a rival who is left for another conference, then you know what? It should make it pretty darn easy to schedule them out of conference, like you said. Well, and I know that the at the press conference, the initial release that, that these these changes were being made, I know that one of the big focal points was uh, the Battle of the Piney Woods and, and how important – they they felt that that game was for the conference and and just that they could really expand that game uh, to the rest of the nation for SFA and Sam Houston State. Well, I mean, look, you put a pretty good number of people in that NFL stadium there just, you know, every season. You know, it's one of the premier rivalry games in all of FCS. And it is one of those things that is on my bucket list to see and to, and to get there in person. And I'm going to do that, I promise. Well, it, it's it's truly an awesome experience. Last year was was mine and Dalton's first first time doing it, and it, it really is certainly one to remember. And I'm excited to play in it in future future matchups. Yeah, we've talked about it before on on our on our episode on our podcast that there could be a situation with the WAC that the Battle of Piney Woods is for the conference championship, and just imagine the crowd and how big that would be. So the the Western Athletic Conference is going to be really fun. It's going to be a change for us. Going to be a change for everybody. And uh, before we end talking about the Southland, I wanted to get your outlook on the spring season uh, for the Southland Conference. Of course, UCA is not playing, SFA is not playing, and Houston Baptist, who had a really good offense, is not playing. So what's your outlook on the spring season for the Southland Conference? Who are your favorites and who's someone that could surprise? I like Sam Houston State. I'm not saying that because, you know, you play there. Um, You know, you have a dynamic offense like you always do. Uh, The defense... Look, one of the things that I've been very impressed with all the Texas schools is is your defensive linemen. I mean, I know Texas is a big state, and there's a lot of guys playing high school football there, so that's why it's probably pretty easier to get than, than some other places. But your big men up front clog that middle, make it tough to run, 
and you know the the uh, you know offensive minds that are in that league are also very impressive. But I, but Sam Houston State's going to be right there. I mean, um, and look, if you want to talk about a movie type ending, uh, what could be better and be more of a feel good story? And if Mac Knees could somehow come back from all of this, you know, two hurricanes, all the damage there, you know, the having to redo the football field completely, they broke every window in the press box, those hurricanes did. And wouldn't it be nice to see Mac Knees be able to field a good team and be in it, maybe make the playoffs? I think everybody would like to see that. So that's actually, uh, I'm, I'm pretty positive that that is the last game of the season uh, for, for Sam Houston State. So if that held up and, and that came down to the conference championship, that would really be an awesome movie storybook ending for the spring season. It really would. And I like both of those schools. One of the things about the Southland is ever since, you know, we were, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, before we even got on the radio, always have received great cooperation from every school in there having their coaches on, um, you know, they, uh, the teams out there, you know, they, uh, kind of, I think a lot of folks feel like they're kind of on an Island, kind of like the big sky is in FCS football, but, you know, I've always tried to make sure that we pay attention uh, to what's going on in the Southland because it's been really great football for a long, long time. So uh, a trend that I've seen, uh, in the Southland Conference, as well as across the nation uh, at the FCS level, is is the transfer portal. Uh, there's been countless, countless preseason all-conference players, preseason all-Americans at the FCS level transferring out uh, to, to move up or opt out of the season or, or whatever it may be. How do you think that that affects the spring season for the FCS and moving forward. Look, the transfer portal is an interesting deal, right? You know, it's, you know, and again, we had the discussion earlier about, you know, teams moving conferences, that the grass isn't always greener. But I think one of the things that's underutilized that people aren't talking about enough are the problems that the uh, 2021s are having from high school and even some of the 22s that this extra year of eligibility is going to um, – you know, give them more time. And when I had your head football coach, Casey Keeler, on during the fall to figure out, you know, give an update on what Sam Houston State was doing, he said that Sam Houston had budgeted for everyone that wanted to stay to be allowed to stay. So um, what do you do, right? You know, I think a lot of the uh, schools now are transfer portal shopping uh, and not looking at 2021 because they want to win now. What do you all think? Yeah, I, that's that's definitely hard to disagree with. Um, you know, I feel bad for for the 2021 high school class because uh, you know here's what happens. You know, FBS they they get their players from FCS. The FCS now they have to all of a sudden get get high school recruits that are are FBS caliber. Uh, Division two, they get they get FCS caliber players. Division three is getting Division two, and then there's a there's a huge group of players that you know could have found a niche somewhere uh, at a college that you know aren't getting the looks at that they deserve. Yeah, and you know that's just unfortunate because we all know that with coaching today, you know you can't really have bad years. There are some places where. You know, you have two bad years in a row, you know, you're going to be looking for another job. So you can't really blame the coaches for looking at 
you know, transfer guys from the FBS or even other FCS schools that can help them right now versus recruiting a high school senior, you know, playing them in four games, redshirting them, and then them being a huge part of your program three years from now because you might not be there three years from now. So this has just been a, such a strange year in so many ways, and especially with recruiting. I mean, we're asking, we asked these 2021 kids to commit to schools that a lot of them had never even been to. Coaches had never, you know, seen them in person with the restrictions on, you know, being able for them to go to campuses and, you know, host official visits. I mean, it's hard to commit to something that you, you know, have never seen its operation, right? Yeah, and uh, talking about transfers, you know, we see Villanova, they they lose a lot of good players. Weber State, they lose Jay Constantine. So my question for you, in, in all of FCS, in your opinion, who lost this transfer portal battle? Who lost the most significant players? And uh, who, who did good? Who got really good transfers and, ha- and has a lot better team going into the spring season? Well, look, everybody was wondering who was going to be the heir apparent to Trey Lance if he – decided to forego his remaining eligibility and go to the NFL draft. And I think a lot of people thought it was going to be the Iowa transfer, Zeb Nolan, and it still may be. But North Dakota State picks up a, you know, a dual-threat quarterback from Virginia Tech who, if he's ruled eligible, will push the start. I think that uh, the Bison got better, which I don't think anybody wants to hear, right? I mean, but you got to render under Caesar, right? Um, I think JMU got better. Um, you know, basically the rich and, you know, you're, you know, and, and I don't think we're done yet, you know, with uh, practices starting what in the next week or so uh, for a lot of teams, um, you know, we're going to see maybe uh, another flurry of this if the second semester hasn't started at certain places yet. So, um, but as far as who's won, I mean, it's hard to say because how many times have we seen, you know, SBS transfers, a lot of accolades come down to the FCS. They're not a good fit, and you never hear from them again. I think James Madison catches a lot of slack, especially during the Mike Houston era there, for taking a lot of transfers. Well, they really didn't take more than anybody else did. Uh, They just were at places where, you know, they made sure who they were getting was a good fit, not just a great athlete. So every time they had one, it became a significant player who played significant time and did significant things for them. So it just seemed like they had more. You know, I think in at the FCS level, if you can recruit good high school kids, redshirt them, get them in the S&C program, get them uh, ready to go for their soft, uh, redshirt freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years, and then if you can fill in need positions with transfers, then that's the way you do it. Or if you have somebody who just wants to come home. And look, the people talk about it all the time now that, I mean, Matt Jones and, you know, those guys at Alabama, I mean, you've got to be patient if you're going to be at a program like that because you're not going to see the field immediately. And football players want to play football. Baseball players want to play basketball and basketball players want to play basketball. So I, I think it's, you know, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be like, I don't want to sit, I want to play. And I think that maybe that's why we're going to see that uh, trend continue of, you know, good FBS drop-downs coming to our level. 
North Dakota State. Finally, finally, they get brought up. The uh, the Bison Dynasty, the incredible national championship run that they have been on. What is what what would you say their key to success has been over this decade of dominance? Well, I think first of all, yes, there have been coaching changes, but it's always been people that were inside that program. So, you know, the the institutional memory is still there. It wasn't wiped clean by someone willing to come in and, and have their own imprint on it. You know, I think there's very few egos in the North Dakota State uh, football program and on the coaching staff. I think there's a lot of guys there that, you know, um, if they wouldn't have gotten hired by bigger schools, would have been happy to be the 20-year head coach of the North Dakota State Bison. I think it's a great, great program, and obviously they win a whole bunch. But, I mean, look, the thing that they've done better than anybody else, you know, when you look at what they do, you know, they're not a triple option team. But when you look at the rushing numbers at the end of the season, boy, you know, North Dakota State is right up there with, you know, the Cal Polys before Bo Baldwin got up. Bo Baldwin got hired out there, and now Cal Poly is going to discover the forward pass again. But they're up there with the Cal Poly's before that, Walfords, the Citadels, you know, teams that, you know, throw the ball, you know, less times a game than you have fingers. You know, sometimes sometimes they throw the ball uh, less, less times in two games than you have fingers. So, you know, their ability to run the football, and it all starts up front with what they call the Rams there in Fargo, uh, the offensive line guys have just been head and shoulders above just about anybody else. But you call it a decade of dominance, and, that, and it has been that. But they haven't been, you know, unscathed. You know, they're, uh, yes, they win, and they win a lot. But, you know, there's three or four games a year, you know, where a play here, a play there go differently, you know, then they might not be as dominant as they have been. Look, people have given them great ball games in the championship games, too. So, I mean, yes, they've been great. Um, and I think that there's no such thing as really luck. You know, I think preparation and um, confidence lead to a lot of what we call luck. And there's no doubt that the Bison have both of those in spades. So in this spring season, uh, we wanted to ask you, if you had to place a bet on North Dakota State versus the field, the rest of the nation, to win the national championship this spring, who would you take? Well, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd have to place two bets. I'd place my bet on North Dakota State, and then I'd place another one on the field. How's that answer? <laughs> well, well, that, that certainly is the safe way to do it. Uh, and, and saying that, who are some teams that you feel like could dethrone the Bison this spring? Look, uh, James Madison, of course. Um, I think that when you look inside their own conference, Northern Iowa is always there. You know, Northern Iowa seems to really overschedule in the out-of-conference every year, you know, with teams that, you know, they could, they don't have to go to Montana. They don't have to, you know, uh, do the things that they do out-of-conference. But if I was Coach Farley there at Northern Iowa, I would have calendars in the locker room that only had November on them because that's when they really seem to make their hay and they're always there at the end, regardless of how they start. I think Illinois state will be uh, a good team in that league too. Not only 
does their coach drops back is he a heck of a football coach he's got one of the best darn mustaches you've ever seen in your life too so that's a plus um but you know jmu of course um i think that villanova will be very good again this year um and out of uh you know the big south you know kennesaw will be there um socon you know it's socon's going to be what it always has been and that is, you know, they're going to beat each other up in the regular season. Everybody plays everybody. So, you know, uh, you know, the games are that much larger. Uh, and, you know, I think that out of that league, um, Wofford, Furman, or the Citadel could, uh, could challenge that conference title along with Chattanooga. Um, don't sleep on Mercer. New coaches and the SOCON have done exceedingly well in their first year or two there. And they have a, an excellent new coach there, Drew Cronick who is a great coach. Um, when you move out west, you know, I think Eastern Washington will be there. Eric Barrier is the most dynamic player uh, in the FCS right now, I think, uh, with Trey Lance moving on. Uh, Eric Barrier can do it all for the Eastern Washington Eagles. Uh, when I had Coach Best on during the fall, you know, we talked about how he's matured as a player. Since, you know, he got run out there when Gage Gubrud was hurt and then took Gage Gubrud's job from him which wasn't easy to do. I mean, Gubrud was on pace to maybe win the Peyton Award before his injury, and then he really never saw the field for Eastern Washington again. So I think EWU has a, a very good shot to be, able, to be able to do that maybe. And before the opt-outs, I would have said both Montana and Montana State. So I think that the FCS this year is wide open. Uh, but, you know, it, what did that famous citizen of North Carolina say? You know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Well, right now, there's no doubt that North Dakota State is the man. And uh, talking about North Dakota State, and you mentioned the name Trey Lance. We've been talking about this almost every episode that comes up. Trey Lance, he played his one game in the fall. He had an okay game, nothing special. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think? Uh, did his draft stock rise or fall after that one, for one game? And where do you see him landing? Is there a certain team you can see him playing for? That And uh, is he still the second-rated quarterback in the draft? I know Justin Fields had a great game against Clemson, kind of struggled against Alabama. So they're kind of figuring where do we, do we put Trey Lance over Justin Fields? Is Justin Fields a better quarterback? So what do you think about Trey Lance? Look, there's one thing that those of us that know – are going to always kind of roll our eyes at is when, you know, one of the draft pro- prognosticators will say, well, you know, look at his level of competition. Well, you know what? All of those guys missed on James Robinson, didn't they? Absolutely. And people like us been talking about James Robinson for years. So it is a very inexact science. I mean, how do you miss on a guy who does that on Sunday? As when anybody could have had him for the minimum contract. People didn't think he was worth a draft pick in a seven-round draft, and he ends up doing what he did for the Jaguars this year for a bad team, you know? So and it wasn't like, you know, they had to really respect the pass there in, in Jacksonville this year, the opposing defenses. They knew that Robinson was pretty much the only guy they had, and he was still able to put up those kind of numbers. So I think with Lance, y'all, I think that, you know, uh, he is who we think he is. Now, I think that maybe you might see him go to Atlanta, uh, someplace where he doesn't have to play immediately. You know, Matt Ryan's contract really messes up the Falcons. You know, they owe him so much money over so many more years. But what you don't want to do is go to a situation where, you know, a, a guy doesn't play for his entire, you know, first contract. 
the teams that have been successful in the National Football League, you know, except for, you know, the uh, Packers and the Bucks this year, have been the teams that have their quarterback under a rookie contract because it allows you to go out and sign other players with the money that you're saving on the QB. So, uh, you know, can uh, Lance go to the 49ers? Maybe. But I'd be surprised if he – I think the 49ers pick, what, 12th? I'd be surprised if he's still there then. So with, with Trey Lance gone, uh, won't be playing this spring, who is someone – uh, that can emerge as the Walter Payton Award winner uh, this FCS spring season? Look, I think that, and his name escapes me, but the uh, quarterback from Villanova, I think um, I think he could be a factor in that. Um, look, and uh, who's going to play at Sam Houston State? Because we know that y'all are going to put the ball up a lot. And, you know, uh, Jeremiah Briscoe, you know, when you, I'm sure y'all have seen the film of him, he's, great, great player, um, you know, didn't see the National Football League level. But, you know, I think that we're going to maybe for the first time in a while, we're going to see somebody come out of nowhere and maybe put something together this year. So to answer your question, I don't really know. And I don't think anybody does. And if they say they do, well, then they really don't. I mean, I think, you know, somebody like Zara Cooper from Jacksonville State to do it. If he can stay healthy and not turn the ball over. So, I mean, I think the race for the Peyton is wide open, and it's as wide open as it's been in a long time. And I think that makes it fun. You know, this this spring season, there are going to be a lot of cool storylines, it being the first time that it has been done. And I think I think the Walter Payton Award is is a great, great storyline. I, I, I totally agree with you that this would be a – definitely a year that a a dark horse could emerge as the best offensive player in the nation. And you know, when you look at the Buck Buchanan Award too, you know, and I mean the one the one that we really never know is the Jerry Rice Award, right? Because, you know, the Jerry Rice Award is a freshman of the year. So that's one of the that's one of the things that we really don't ever know because, you know, unless it's a retro freshman, well now with the four games deal, you know, you maybe get a little bit of a of a case test, so to speak, of a, of a fellow who's seen the field uh, four times during his uh, actual freshman year. But with the Buck Buchanan Award, I mean, you know, I think and one of the people you need to look out for that is Willie Eubanks third from the Citadel. He's going to come back for the spring. There were, he was a Southern Conference Defensive Player of the Year um, the last uh, full fall season and was on a lot of NFL teams' radar. I think that Willie has a good shot to be a top two, three finisher, maybe win the thing. Yeah, so a lot of players, and just like in the FBS, you know, I, I always, Humphreys makes fun of me all the time. I thought Mac Jones wasn't going to be a good player. I thought Alabama was going to have an off year. Mac Jones comes out of nowhere, has a great year, does what he does. He's now declared for the draft, and I have to eat my words. So there's going to be a player like that in FCS that's going to surprise somebody, and there's going to be a team that surprises, and uh, we'll be covering. I know you're going to be covering. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, my next question for you is, throughout when you, ever, when you first started covering FCS football, what is the most surprising thing that you have found out since covering FCS football? Well, the most surprising thing is that – no one big times you at this level. Everybody is willing to, you know, make their coach available. You know, the SIDs all do a fantastic job of, you know, giving us access, you know, because look, we're not a gotcha program. 
You know, we're never going to talk about kids bad or, you know, try to set a coach up to get a quote. You know, we just don't, that's, that's just not what we do. But, you know, there are plenty of places for that. If that's what you want to listen to, we're not going to be that ever. But it's the fact that, you know, when, you know, we had no experience doing this and, you know, uh, I called up to Villanova and got Andy Talley, you know, year after they won the national championship. He was the first guest I ever had. And Coach Talley has been on every year since then, even though he's now retired. Um, and, you know, people who don't remember him as a coach uh, know about his Bone Marrow Foundation, which does great work. You know, the Andy Talley Bone Marrow Foundation, which goes, one of the things they do is they go around the NCAA football teams and you get your mouth swapped. And there have been players from all levels of college football that have donated bone marrow and have saved lives. So, I mean, it's the cooperation and the fact that there are a lot of great people doing a lot of good things for people at our level of football, no doubt. So as a final, kind of a final thought statement, if if you could give, you know, a, a fan that doesn't already have a team uh, in the FCS, you know, no no horse in the race, what, what are some tips that you could give them, you know, basically saying, you know, how special the FCS is to you? Look, for me, I don't really pay all that much attention to FBS football. I just don't. During our football season, it's, uh, you know, having, you know, with 129 teams now to keep up with, it's enough for me. But, you know, I'll, I'll watch Carolina and Clemson if they're on because I'm from South Carolina, you know, but – at this level of football, it's most of the time played by young men who you'd be proud to invite into your parlor or have over to your house for dinner. Um, you know, they, they're mostly great students, and they play the game because they love it, they're good at it, and it's a level that money is not ruined entirely like the level above us is. I mean, I saw the Auburn football building that they just finished and has all this excess things in it that have nothing to do with football, but they have the money. So they spend it. Well, you know, at the FCS level, you know what? Uh, it's not unusual to find your head coach picking up your kit and taking it to the laundry. Is it, you know? So, I mean, that's, you know, this is a level where people do it for the love of it. Nobody's getting rich. The head coaches aren't making millions of dollars coaching at this level. And the kids are doing it because they love it. And it's good football and it's competitive. And if you don't like it, you're the one with the problem because you don't know football. Yeah, and I agree with you. You know, the people who are, are true diehard FCS fans, they are diehard fans. And, and, you know, they're passionate about it. I see it on social media all the time. Obviously, FCS Nation Radio has a huge following of people just like that. And I think you know, I think that's what I think that's what drives FCS, and I think that that makes it a special division. And, and I think going forward, you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, and I think this spring season is really going to be a lot of fun. I think so too, and I'm I'm ready. I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready. Um, you know, I got my appetite, you know, wetted just a little bit with the teams that did play in the fall. Uh, it seemed weird, you know, not having the playoff, you know, not covering that. And I'm looking forward to, you know, even though it is a different time of the year, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, talking to Casey Keeler and 
instead of talking about how he's dealing with a, a pandemic, you know, talking about, you know, how he's going to deal with somebody blitzing up the A-gap, you know? So uh, that's, you know, that's, that's better than uh, what we had to talk about this fall. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I know y'all are too. And I know the fans across the country are. Yeah, we're really, we're really excited to play it and to cover it. And uh, Humph was talking about it. We just started getting into covering FCS and the, the small community of people. They've been really kind to us, and, and we love talking to them. So we're going to wrap this up. Kevin Marshall, FCS Nation Radio. Tell the people where they can find your radio at, where they can follow you on Twitter, so they, they can get out there and they can see what you do. Well, Twitter handle is at FCS Nation Radio 1. Uh, we're on Facebook, even though I don't really uh, – my co-host pretty much deals with all of that stuff. I do the Twitter. So uh, nobody get mad at Chris Callum if there's some mild trolling of FBS teams going on uh, from our Twitter account. That's me. I'll, I'll own it. But, uh, you know, look, the uh, best way to do is just follow the Twitter account. Uh, we're on wherever you get podcasts. Just search FCS Nation or FCS Nation Radio, and you'll find us there. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We're going to get back to you next week with, uh, with Super Bowl talk, getting ready for FCS. So uh, we hope you enjoy this episode, and we will see you all next time.